Welcome. This is the Business of Vulnerability, the podcast that shares the wonderful work that individuals, organizations, and communities are doing around the world to try and help those who are most vulnerable. Welcome to the Business of Vulnerability podcast. Today on the podcast, we have James Hadlock. James Hadlock is the founder and chief evangelist of Blue Novus. James, can you tell us a little bit of what Blue Novus is and what it does? Yeah, well, you know, it, it, it's an interesting, I, I guess I can start by just telling you what, what does Blue Novus even mean? Because it's a made up word. Yeah, please. Uh, so my wife and I back in 2017, when we were, when we were putting kind of the business model together and, and our vision for what it would be, uh, we, we wanted to come up with a name that we made up for whatever reason. And, <laughs> and, you know, blue it has a lot of connotation to it. It means water, it means clarity. Um, but we, we, we think of it as, as that term out of the blue. So like insight mm-hmm. or wisdom. So kind of that out of the blue wisdom and then novus is just Latin for new. So it's new wisdom, new insight, new intelligence. It's a new way of thinking about things. And and what we do, and I think it's very appropriate, is we we help companies, we partner with organizations and and really support them and their employees in proactively addressing mental health and, and substance abuse in the workplace. And so, and we do that in a lot of different ways. So we have our own call center that employees and their loved ones can call or text into 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, so if they're if they're feeling stressed out, overwhelmed, um, maybe they have unresolved mental illness, uh, anything to do with their emotional well-being, we are. Uh, really the the support system and emotional support service for those companies and um so i mean it's it's almost like a concierge service for your mental health so Mm. if they are looking for a therapist if they need drug and alcohol treatment for themselves or a loved one if they just need someone to talk to if they you know if they if they're having a bad day and they don't really have anyone to turn to we're, you know, their confidant, we're their professional handholder, you know, wh- whatever. I mean, we, we, in that call center, we really, our mission is pretty simple. Make sure people know they're heard, that they know they matter and that they're not alone. Hmm. And, and that takes on, you know, various forms But I think it's important to note that we are right there for them in their moment of need, whatever that may be. Wow. It's such an amazing and needed thing. How did did you and your wife come up with this this business model? What, like, because it it doesn't seem like this thing that most people would think about of, hey, we should should try and be there to be a concierge service for people's mental health. Um, what, What led you to create this? Yeah, you know, um, so I have a history personally of, of both substance abuse and of mental illness. Uh, and although I was a high-performing, overachieving entrepreneur and, and found a lot of success in my business endeavors in my late 20s and early 30s, I really struggled. I mean, to the point where I ended up uh, in and out of treatment uh, for, you know, poly substance abuse. 
Um, I was in and out of the psych ward from being suicidal to having complete mental breakdowns. Um, I mean, to the point where I was paranoid, seeing things that weren't there, mm. you know, a complete psychotic break. Uh, and, and for about 11, 12 years, I mean, that was my experience of life. And, and then 13 years ago, I, I had this transformational experience where, you know, I was, um, desperately suicidal and, and, uh, you know, at the age of 38, I found myself destitute and, in, in, you know, staying with my mom and dad. And I had this kind of this aha moment, uh, my own insight really around what had been driving all of these behaviors, including being the super overachieving entrepreneur. And, and so I had this, this real shift in my life. And and from that point, I just, I wanted to be part of the solution. I wanted to be part of helping other people, making sure that they didn't feel alone and that they knew that they mattered even in, in the most desperate of times. And so uh, I ended up meeting my now wife, Alicia. Uh, we've been together ever since. And um, we, we found ourselves doing retreats in our homes and little groups. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, just very, very much kind of a side gig, if you will, and 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 then that started to grow where people wanted us to come in and and work with them or or their populations in in uh, behavioral health centers. Mm-hmm. And then I, I want to say, gosh, six seven years ago, we we started consulting in the in the addiction recovery space and. And and one of the things that just always came up for us is just how we look at mental health and, and addiction in, in more of a reactive kind of crisis perspective mm-hmm. and instead of thinking, thinking uh, from a preventative perspective. And that preventative kind of idea was what started to get us thinking about gosh, what would happen if we took the conversation around mental health into the one place that people really don't want to talk about mental health, into the workplace? <laughs> I mean, you know, you know we're, we're, we're in this, this podcast that you've dedicated to, to vulnerability. Like what's more vulnerable than talking about mental health in, in the workplace? Yeah. Uh, there is so much stigma that, that surrounds uh, these conversations. And and even though with the pandemic and and there has been this movement around talking about mental health in the workplace, we're we're still struggling with with being in the trenches and really talking about it. So that was what kind of kicked it off for us. And and so back in 2017 is when we when we established the company and we had this idea of this call center. But the other thing that we had along with that, so you know, if you've ever heard of an employee assistance program, they they have something similar in the respect that you can call them if you need a therapist or to get treatment. But we saw such a huge gap of how many people that necessarily don't need a treatment or a therapist. They just need someone mm-hmm. to talk to, which is kind of where the concierge idea came. Mm-hmm. But But over the last four years, we have noticed that because of the stigma that that there is a gap in leaders 
being vulnerable and talking about mental health from a personal perspective. So mm. not just saying it's important, but here's what I know and what my experience tells me. And because I speak a lot, you know, I get to, to hear a lot of different perspectives. Mm -hmm. But my experience has been, and, and I've tested this even with audiences, is at the end of a lot of my talks, I'll invite the audience that if you or a loved one's ever been impacted by mental health, I, I invite you to stand up. And I don't think I've ever done that where 99% of the audience hasn't stood up. Mm -hmm. So, and, and those audiences include leaders, right? And, and so, so part of what we are doing now is not, not just having this call center, which is what I would call an outlet, this concierge service, but we're training managers to, to remind them that being vulnerable and authentic in the workplace and being able to see their employees as more than just a cog in the wheel, mm -hmm. it it impacts the culture and the emotional well-being of of your workers. And so, so we now provide trainings and and support systems specifically to the leaders and managers in those organizations. And wow. to me, I believe that mental health is a a cultural issue, not just a mental health issue. How, uh, like, how do you find the leaders that are willing to, to, cause, because there's a certain amount of vulnerability to open up to say, we're not good at this and we need the, the help. How do you, how do you find the leaders that are willing to, to, you know, uh, make the investment in this and, and are ready to, to open up themselves? Yeah, you, you know, we, so I, the reason I, I call myself the chief evangelist is because that's what I do. I evangelize, man. I, I am a, I'm a loud voice in the world of, of mental health in the workplace. And I get, I, I mean, I, I say this all the time, which I, I love being on your, on your um, podcast because I say that vulnerability is my superpower. Mm. So I walk my walk and, and that means I get to show up as vulnerable and as authentic. Like, you know, I, I don't have all this figured out. Um, I still have my ups and downs. I still feel insecure at times. Um, I, I can get caught up in my thinking and um, from time to time feel anxious or like I can't talk to anybody for the afternoon because I just, I, I feel paralyzed. Like I'll be the first to tell you, like my life is amazing. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I got remarried. I live in beautiful Midway, Utah, which is just breathtaking, which I know Blake, you've got ties to here, right? It is a, a beautiful place. Right. Um, uh, when, when I remarried, my wife had three kids and I had two. And, and so we had instant five. And then we, we decided what the heck, let's add four more to the mix. So, <laughs> so we've got nine kids. So I've got, you know, I, I've got a lot of moving parts and I, I mean, I get to do what I love. I get to, I get to support people. I get to love on people. I mean, I have, I have really, I, I don't know what I could even complain about. 
but life happens. And because I'm a human being like everybody else, I still have my ups and downs in life. And there's times seriously where I take the, the afternoon off because I'm just like, holy smokes, my waters need to settle. And, and I'm wrapped up in all kinds of stories and I can get, you know, feeling anxious. So the, the first thing is, is that if I'm going to ask leaders, then I get to be just as transparent and open as, as everyone else. Like I, and, and that's why vulnerability is, is to me so key for people to feeling um, at ease with themselves. Mm -hmm. Like what, what do you think happens when I, when I tell a leader that, when I just tell them what I just shared with you? Well, in my experience, vulnerability tends to beget vulnerability. And so I imagine by you sharing some of your vulnerability, it opens them up to share a little more of theirs. Yeah. You know, we were talking about, we're, we're onboarding a brand new client uh, in the fintech industry and it all started with they inviting me to be a part of a lunch and learn discussion mm. where all their employees could, could participate. And, and they had, I don't even remember, they had a lot of their employees on and, and, and the CEO just interviewed me and wanted me to share a little about my story. And I got super vulnerable. And, and that wasn't me trying to put on the vulnerability mask. That was just mm -hmm. me being in the moment with them. And I shared a story about when I, when I was in the, in the middle of my drug addiction and, and um, you know, I was on a pretty tight leash with my ex-wife and my two little girls that were, you know, they were both younger than 10 at the time, but for whatever reason, I was able to have them on, you know, the Christmas holiday. And I overdosed on Christmas morning and was carted off to the hospital in front of my two little girls. Man. And I shared that in, I shared that in a business, in a business discussion. And I got super vulnerable because it was, you know, it was around the holidays. And so I was thinking about that and, and, and it wasn't for shock value. It was just, it was to also share as bad as it got, like that's, that's, that's pretty gnarly. I, mm -hmm. I mean, even, even, even for me, like I've got some pretty crazy stories of drug dealers and having guns at the back of my head, ready to blow my brains out. I mean, I, I've got some stories, but the one with my two daughters, man, it, it gets me. And, uh, but on the reverse side, what I also shared with that was, um, I've got these beautiful relationships with my two girls that are now one's married, um, one's in a long-term relationship. And, and, um, you know, there's been a lot of healing that has come. And, and again, to bring it back to vulnerability, it's come because of my willingness to be vulnerable with them and to say, I screwed up. I was, you know, I was a mess. It had nothing to do with you, even though it probably felt like it did. Mm -hmm. And, and, and by the way, that, that healing is not ending. I mean, there's still, there, there's still opportunities and I think that um, I, I will never take that for granted and, and never assume that I've arrived on any level anywhere. Hmm, man, I, uh, sorry, it's, it's, it's interesting because I think of my own, you know, challenges in life and, and they're, you know, minuscule compared to others, but, but I can't help but empathize with, 
how many times, you know, I have two young kids and how many times I am messing up as a parent or otherwise. And, and the, the, uh, hopefully lifetime of healing I get to have with them to be able to, to repair some of my own mistakes there. And, and it's hard not to empathize. It makes sense why you start getting leaders saying, Hey, this, this is important. And how do we, um, and how do we address it earlier and, and, and help? Um, you know, if, if there's somebody listening to this podcast and is thinking like, Hey, we need this, like walk me through the process. Like what is, if I decide I want to partner with Blue Novus, what's that process like? How does that work? Like what, what are the, the tangible things my employees are going to get? How, um, you know, can you give us some of the kind of the, the details of how that process works? Yeah. Um, it, you know, we we leverage technology where we can, and so we have an app that that uh, when we onboard a, a new client, um, they have uh, you know they have a code. We 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 assign them, and and the the funny thing is, is we've tried to keep it as simple as possible. Mm-hmm. So the the app is really just one home screen, and it, we call it one touch access. And so the app has it has a button to call us directly into the mm-hmm. care center. It's got a text button so they can text us directly into the care mm-hmm. center. Um, there's a login button for, we have a, a, a learning management system or an online wellness library. So mm-hmm. if they want to go watch videos on anxiety or depression or substance abuse or communication or nutrition or whatever, I like to call it, it's nowhere near this, but I, you know, I love to call it the Netflix of emotional well-being, uh, emotional well-being. <laughs> not even close. But that's the vision of it. So they can hit each of those buttons and then that gives them that access. So that's one of the first things we do is we show them how to download the app. We do a live onboarding with with mm-hmm. their employees. And then, um, but but there's something important to note here. And that is 80% of all the people that live with mental illness will never reach out and get the help that they need. Mm. 80%, eight out of 10 people. And, and we know right now that at any given time, 25% of the population is living with a mental illness, not just, not just feeling anxious, but a mental illness. So when you start to think about that, there is a lot of stigma that we still get to address. And so we do that in the onboarding. You know, we talk about this pretty openly and we share, we share some of those stories um, we get the, the 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 CEO or the leader to 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 do a video, mm-hmm. um, so so their employees know that this is okay, that this is part of our culture. Um, and then we have a client success team that partners with each of our organizations to just walk them through a a a success roadmap of, okay, so you know where's your culture at right now? How are you guys speaking to this? And then we start to implement either manager trainings. Or, you know, we've got Mental Health Awareness Month coming up in May. So we, we you know, it's not a one size fits all because every company is a little different on how they speak to this. Our whole goal is, is to bring it down to simple terms. How do we partner with you as an organization and help you create psychological safety and leverage the systems you already have in place, where your managers are coming from, what your culture is like? So we the, the outlet, you know, the care center never changes, mm-hmm. but how we how we basically make it okay for people to utilize the service on a regular basis, well, that's always personalized to each organization. Wow, 
um, you know, your, your, your statistic of, of 80% of people that are living with a, a mental illness, um, was it that they don't know they have mental illness or they just, they don't seek treatment for it? Yeah. So 25% of the population currently is living with mental illness, but eight out of 10 of those never reach out and get the help that they need because of the stigma and because of job concerns. So, so it, it really is, you know, I wish I could say, oh yeah, we, we really had this figured out why we went into the workplace, but that was just kind of that, that, that inspiration we had and that insight mm-hmm. that we had in the moment of what if we, what if we went into the place that already has systems mm-hmm. and, and they already have ways of communicating with each other well, what if we went there and started to have these really vulnerable conversations? And and so that's what, that's what we've been up to. I mean, and um, because, you know, that 80%, let, let's just talk for a minute about the economics. What do you think if, let's just, let's just say, you know, a common one, let's just say that I'm having relationship issues. And so I'm stressed out and I'm overwhelmed. And now I'm working from home and my, my spouse and I aren't getting along and my kids are going to school from home and I'm having to do all of that. Where do you think my productivity is? <laughs> Zero. <laughs> I mean, I, so it's interesting. I have a, a bit of a personal experience with this. I once worked with someone that was going through a divorce, right? And in everything that is coupled with that. And I, I didn't know he was going through a divorce. I just knew that the productivity was gone. Right. And so in a leadership role, you know, call him in, talk to him, what's happening. And then, you know, when it comes out, he's going through a divorce, like everything makes more sense. But but it's that I think kind of that stigma you're talking about, you know, he didn't want anyone to know that things weren't going perfectly in his life. And it's like once you knew it was way easier to empathize and understand and to um, to to try and help. Um, but I, but I have to imagine that's even multiplied in the pandemic where you're going through these things and there's, there's almost no escaping them. There's no outlet. There's, there's nothing like that. Um, I, I can totally see how, uh, for a business addressing those things would make a, a huge difference if you can help them, uh, deal with these issues either before they're a problem or, or once they, uh, at least once they come out, help them through it as, as well as they can, because they're definitely not going to be productive while they're, they're dealing with it. Well, so I, I want to take this example that you just shared because I want to just share with you the simplicity. And you intuitively, it sounds like you, once you kind of knew, you were able to, to self-correct as a leader. But, but I mean, that's part of the point is I think as leaders, we look, we, we want results, right? Yep. And, and the way that our bonuses are set up or our, 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 the way that our leaders and superiors look at us is you got to produce, you got to produce, you got to produce. So one of the mistakes we make as leaders is we focus on the steps to produce. So, well, you got to be making this many calls or you got to be doing this, or you got to be creating these, these many outputs. Mm-hmm. And so that's where our conversation typically goes, right? Yep but we forget that there's a human being behind all that production. And we forget that that, that human being has challenges and aspirations and fears and insecurities and challenges with the pandemic. And, and so if, if all we did, I'm telling you that it's not rocket science here. 
if all we did was took a little bit of time to get to know our people and understand where they're coming from and and where they're at with things then we we build trust and when we build trust then all of a sudden they feel a little bit more comfortable coming to me and saying yeah you know what i'm i'm going through a divorce right now and i don't even know man i feel like my whole world's been turned upside down if if i really heard that as a human being not as a leader or as a superior how might i respond oh my gosh I don't know, I, I've never been through that or I have been through that and I can totally empathize or, man, I had no idea, how can I help? Mm-hmm. It frees that person up to just go, I'm not alone, I feel heard, I feel like they understand me and all of a sudden, they start to settle back in and and that can happen a couple of different ways. Maybe you as a leader don't feel equipped to even have that conversation, but if you knew you had an emotional support service that you could point them in that direction, man, how great would that be? So what then happens when that person feels heard and they feel supported and they don't feel alone? Well, productivity automatically goes back to to where you know you wanted it to be in the first place. See, mm-hmm. we just we we've we've just got it backwards is all. That's it. it. It's interesting. Oftentimes it seems like the the lack of productivity actually comes from people so worried about revealing their faults. Like the the work that is to put up the mask is really what is preventing the productivity. Once once they realize they no longer have to have the mask that they're okay being flawed, they're okay sharing whatever it is, then they can take all that energy and effort that has been going into um, to pretending sometimes and, and put it into something else that, that might be more productive. It's a, a really uh, interesting thing. I remember the first time I've heard anything kind of about anywhere around this, it changed my perspective on kind of workplace and, and mental health was uh, a group in, in software. They had, they do these standups, right? Where you stand you know, say what you're doing of the day. And one of the questions they decided to ask is what thing outside of work is affecting how you're working today? And just asked everybody to share that. And I, I loved that question because it realized like we're a whole person, but sometimes in the workplace we are, we're asked to, or we, for whatever reason we think that like this, this cultural thing where I can only be, part of me at work and not all of me at work. And I think the amazing thing about what you're doing is helping people realize that you can't just be part of you at work. You are all of you, your, your insecurities, your mental health, everything about you affects how you work. And as employers are able to address that and help people, um, they get, they get better people at work and that helps everything helps all the outcomes you're looking for. Yeah. And, and that, you know, that brings it back to leadership. Like if I, if I, uh, if I show up as a leader and I bring all of me, whatever that is, and I'm just authentic. And I, again, I I think there's this fine line of, and we've seen this on social media where all of a sudden somebody becomes addicted to victimizing themselves. Right. Sure. There is that line and, and that's not authenticity. So there's this assumption that authenticity is you know, me just sharing everything. No, there, there's also, I, I think real vulnerability is is your wisdom of sharing what's appropriate and mm-hmm. real in the moment. It's an interesting thing. I, I've never considered the fact, but I guess there's an idea that vulnerability could be faked and it probably is damaging when a leader fakes vulnerability 
um, you know, I, I think people can sense the lack of authenticity. Yeah. And, and I think the way that you see, you know, the way that that just lands, you, you can feel it. I mean, it's, it's kind of like I could fake a sneeze right now, but it wouldn't come across the same way as when I really <laughs> sneeze. Right. Yep. <laughs> so it, it, it's a, which is so faking vulnerability. Ironically, it's kind of like, you know, putting, putting parameters around love. It, it, it just doesn't exist. You know, there's, there's no real, it's, it's, it's just not the same. And yeah. But when when a leader when a leader will when they're willing to to kind of walk out on on the you know or or let go of the edge and and just free fall people respond to that I mean I I've seen it time and time and time again um, that people I mean think of it this way. Everybody wants to feel a sense of freedom and autonomy. And when I'm vulnerable, what that's really saying is, is it, it's okay for you to be your real self right now in this moment too. Like I'm without me saying it, I'm basically giving permission because I'm, I'm leading by an example of this is what it, this is what it's like. And, I I I don't I can't think of a time where I have shown up vulnerable where I've ever gotten a response of a wall being put up. Mm -hmm. It's it's actually always been the opposite. And because I think people are dying to bring their 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 whole self. And it's a term we've used in the workplace, but I I, I don't know if people really really deeply understand the societal uh constructs that that have just been going on for so long that we forget so let me give you an example and this is really interesting how often does somebody ask you how you're doing all the time what if you were to say what if you were to say <laughs> i'm embarrassed to realize how little i actually answer that question honestly but but that's my point is 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 somebody says hey how you doing i'm fine Imagine if in the workplace, when somebody asks you that, which by the way, is just a filler, it's just a yep. filler, but all of a sudden you stop them and said, actually, I'm doing so bad and so horrible. Why don't you come to my office and let's just spend the next half hour and let me tell you all about it. Like they'd want to run the other way in most cases, right? We're not, so we're not really expecting you to be vulnerable or authentic. Mm-hmm. Because we're, you know, we're, we're in this, we, we've just created these constructs or these habits where it's something that we're not really expecting the truth. We're, we're just, you know, we're just expecting filler. And so we've got to interrupt that by providing these moments like the standup you were talking about where people can be authentic and vulnerable and, and, and share the realness and the richness. I would call it the richness of life that this. You know, I mean, I I don't I don't necessarily want to always remember that Christmas morning, and frankly, I I remember very little of it. But it's part of what makes me me today. You know, there's a there's a richness to. I mean, there's not a whole lot somebody can share with me that I I won't be able to relate to because I I experienced something probably very similar. Um, you know, with with all of my illicit drug use and and mental illness. Wow. You know, uh, uh, if I take nothing else from this conversation, 
um, I, I'll, I'll think of the question of how are you doing differently, um, right? Like it's, and, and even, you know, you mentioned, you know, people say fine. It's interesting. I was just thinking how often, like, even if someone says fine, that's a trigger for me to ask deeper. Because what I expect is good. I'm good. Like, how are you? Good, right? And so it, it's, it's just interesting how society's decided to, that that's the norm and anything outside of that is, is unacceptable is probably not the right word, but in some ways I think that's what society makes it as. Yeah. I mean, if you want to try a little experiment and I haven't done this either, Blake, but I think it would be interesting the next time somebody asks you how you're doing, say, you know what, I'm not doing very good and just see the reaction on their face. <laughs> oh, uh, especially if it's, if, if it's someone I don't know very well, I think uh, you, I think you may end up with a little bit of panic, right? Like people just aren't used to connecting at that level. You probably would. And, and, but again, it's, it's just, it's the nice, and we have all kinds of niceties in society, right? Where we just kind of go through the motions yep. um, and, and, and we were, there's, there's this dance that goes on. And when it comes to mental health in the workplace, you know, we've, we've, there's even been this kind of controlled rollout of even having the conversation in the workplace. Cause it's, 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 it's going on just about everywhere because the pandemic has really forced us to. Mm-hmm. However, we, we're still controlling the narrative on some level and we're not really allowing ourselves to get in the trenches and having, um, some might call it uncomfortable conversations or unsettling conversations. Mm-hmm. It's still in the dark. I mean, I, I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll leave this, this visual with you. Uh, three years ago, I was mountain biking and I broke my wrist. And because I'm still hardheaded, it took me, it took me a week or two before I went into the doctor. And finally it was just so painful. And my wife just the whole time is like, come on, dude, like what's your deal? Um, so that tells you still, I've got a lot to learn. Right. But (laughs) I finally went and got a cast on it and it, and 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 then when I went into into you know different meetings or that, what inevitably did they see? They saw my cast, and I wasn't trying to hide it. And in fact, I would even go on and tell them the cool story of how I did it, and and then this, and then this, and then this, like it was no big deal. I just shared my story of how I broke my wrist. Mm-hmm. I want you to imagine if I just. Um, got done telling you that three years ago I was suicidal and I ended up in in uni um, for a week. Um, and when I came out, I started to share that story every time I went into a meeting. Probably get a much different reaction than you did sharing your cast story. And the fact is, is I probably would never have shared that in the first place because you don't see it on the outside, right? It's not like, you know, it's not like I kept on my, my little, um, you know, ID, ID wrist bracelet. Um, but imagine, imagine a time and here's, here's my vision. My vision is, is that what if people could see that experience of me being in the psych ward because I was suicidal the same way of me breaking my wrist on the mountain? Hmm. It would definitely change uh, the narrative on all sorts of things. Yeah. So I don't know if we're going to ever get there. I, I really don't. But but that's kind of the that's where I'm that's that's my kind of my big vision of how do we create a society where 
not for shock value, but just saying, yeah, you know what? I was really struggling and I ended up in, in uni for a couple of days because I was having a complete meltdown. And mm -hmm. I think we can say that in some controlled environments. Um, but when, when we can come from the same place on the broken wrist or, or, or the, the psych ward, um, then I, I think we, we will have made a big difference in the world. Definitely. Well, James, we're running out of time. And, and importantly, uh, what I want to ask last is how can businesses get in contact with Blue Novus if they're, if they're looking for this type of thing um, and, and this type of help? What's the easiest way for them to get in contact with you? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a couple of ways. You can find me on LinkedIn at James Hadlock. I'm really easy to find uh, on LinkedIn. Um, if you want to look up and, and just check out what we're doing at Blue Novus, just go to www.bluenovus.com. And that's B-L-U, N is in Nancy, O, V is in Victor, U-S, Blue Novus, no E in blue. Awesome. Well, James, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for sharing. Um, and thank you for the work you do. Like the last thing image in my head of this is going to be, is there a day where our mental health issues um, are, are kind of like the cast that we have where we show them off and get people to sign them, um, right? Like that's, if we can get to that point, the world will be a much better place. And so thank you for everything you're doing to try and get us there. Uh, thank you, Blake. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to The Business of Vulnerability. If you or somebody you know would be a wonderful guest for our next recording, please let us know at Team Pulse. It's T-E-A-M-P-U-L-S-E -E at pulseforgood.com. Thank you.